Welcome to Transatlantic Takeaway, which explores the impact of key political developments on the European Union and the United States. Our show is a joint production by Common Ground Berlin and the German Marshall Fund of the United States. I'm your host, Soraya Sirhani Nelson. And I'm your host, Rachel Tausenfreund. In mid-June, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz and his cabinet revealed Germany's first-ever national security strategy, first ever in modern history since World War II. The 40-page blueprint sheds important parts of Germany's post-war legacy and could, if it's implemented to its fullest, mean real consequences for German national security policy and European foreign policy and security policy by extension. Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock said a stronger focus was needed on German security after Russia invaded Ukraine. Firstly, in the area of defense, it means getting everything on track when it comes to protecting ourselves against war and violence. Secondly, to make us resilient, it means getting our democracy and market economy to withstand external coercion and dependence. And thirdly, in the area of sustainability, we need to secure our natural resources, especially with a view towards the climate crisis. But will the security strategy work? And what do Germany's allies and neighbors have to say about it? Joining us via Zoom today to discuss those questions and more are Michal Baranowski, Senior Fellow and Managing Director of GMF East, based in Warsaw. We're also joined by Gesine Weber, a fellow of our geostrategy team based in Paris. Gazina focuses on Europe's geopolitical role and EU security initiatives. And before she went to Paris, she was a defense policy advisor in the German parliament. Welcome to you both. Hi, and thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be with you. Gazina, let's start with you. What do you think works in this national security strategy and what doesn't? I think it is very important to understand the national security strategy in the context of German strategic culture. And in this context, the process that Germany now has a national strategy is already a tremendous success. So the fact that the government is openly communicating with citizens about questions of security and defense and also underlines how geopolitical shifts impact everyday life, I think that is really uh, something that works well and that communication is very clear in the strategy. Also, um, the strategy confirms a lot of things that we already know about German foreign and security policy, such as, uh, for example, the close link with France. Um, It was a good political sign to underline that um, so often. Also, the transatlantic relationship that really takes a central place in the strategy, that works very well. And also, overall, I would say it's um, the analysis of the geopolitical environment that is a clear success because it shows that Germany perceives the world as a multipolar order. Um, It describes the world in geopolitical terms. And I think that is really something new and something we haven't seen in that way from the government. On the other hand, there are, of course, also a few things that I wouldn't say don't work, but where there is definitely room for improvement. The document is for sure a status quo document. So we see the analysis of Germany and the geopolitical environment today, but the strategy overall lacks a forward-looking element. So what we don't see is how Germany wants the world to be and how it wants to contribute. We also don't see prioritization because this prioritization would be important to yeah, basically say where you want to go and which are the focus areas. And lastly, and that is probably um, the shortcoming with the most important practical applications, 
is that we do not see information on funding. We already heard during the press conference that the finance minister is well aware that there will be trade-offs to be made at one point. But now there is just a big question mark on this and that will need to be addressed in the next years. So who is this national security strategy actually aimed at? Is it all Germans? Is it the allies or enemies or governments of those allies or enemies? So basically, I would say it's a bit all of them. So first of all, it is, of course, a massive effort of uh, communication with the public. Um, the strategy was already announced in the coalition agreement in late um, 2021. But of course, Russia's war on Ukraine has significantly contributed to the fact that the government needed to speed up the process and also that citizens perceived the process as relevant. So the fact that the government now openly says um, or communicates to the citizens how important that is, particularly also after having announced, for example, the special fund, is um, definitely a clear message to the citizens. I would say when it comes to communication with allies, most of the things that are in the strategy are not significantly new to allies. So the idea that um, Germany really has um, this historic tradition of close links with France as its close partner and um, also embeds all its security policy in the transatlantic alliance, the idea that NATO is central for defense, and also that Germany in general really heavily relies on multilateralism instead of going solo, all that is nothing new. I think what is interesting is, of course, that um, when it comes to adversaries, that it is now very clear that there is not going to be a back to business as normal with Russia. And also what I found interesting um, was how Germany approaches uh, the question with China, because basically what is in the strategy now is exactly what Germany has been pursuing over the last years and also the EU approach of China being a partner competitor rival. But here we still see a strategic void, which can be expected to be filled with the China strategy in the next weeks or in early July. But there is not so much communication on how Germany actually really tries to engage with China on different areas. And overall, to other partners, I think it's really that message of multilateralism and also that Germany is perfectly aware of the need to engage more with these countries. And uh, Michal, Gesina mentioned France being mentioned as a very important partner. Poland, on the other hand, is not mentioned what in general has been the reception or reaction to this strategy in Poland? Thank you, Rachel. Um, it's true that France is mentioned and United States are mentioned uh, in the strategy. And I think it's a mistake not to mention important other allies. And perhaps given the threat posed by Russia and the site event uh, and a focus on uh, reshaping European strategic and security order, Poland and Central Europe should be mentioned because its absence is very clear and real. And that's something that many here uh, noticed. Uh, I understand that not necessarily every geographic direction should be mentioned, but it's an absence that um, underlines also the lack of clarity on the future of Polish-German relations, including in security areas. So I think there is work to be done here. 
the reaction is uh, frankly a little bit mixed here. Uh, like Jazine said, many are appreciative of Germany taking its views and starting this strategic journey uh, with the first national security strategy. But it is seen as someone has said, and I'm picking it up, as an evolutionary strategy in revolutionary times. So it captures well what's going on at the moment. It's a snapshot, but it doesn't give any clarity on forward uh, thinking of Germany and really on the nature of the changing security uh, environment around Germany, both in Europe as well as in the Pacific. And you know the language on Russia is strong and appreciated. China is somewhat missing. I mean, of course, Germany will be publishing its Indo-Pacific and China strategy, and there is a, the German uh, policymakers are emphasizing the competitor language vis-a-vis uh, -vis China that is in the strategy. But it's a big piece that is not there yet that we are um, all waiting for. And perhaps the last piece I would mention on the glass uh, half empty aspect of it is that the language on defense spending, the 2% of GDP on defense modernization is a bit wishy-washy because it doesn't say specifically Germany will spend 2% on defense. It says that Germany will spend an average of 2% over a number of years meeting capability targets. So at a time where 2% is really seen by most of the NATO allies as a floor rather than the ceiling, this slightly wishy-washy language on defense, it's a little bit um, soft. But again, it's very much uh, appreciated that Germany has uh, gone through the process of strategic review and strategic thinking, and that there is a you know, clarity on where Germany is, and also where Germany is no longer, which captures the shift that Germany has gone through since February 24th last year when Ukraine was attacked by Russia. So on this question of clarity, I want to focus on Russia just a bit. You mentioned it briefly. If you were reading this strategy from Moscow, is it completely sort of clear and firm? Or are there messages maybe hidden in there that could be seen as, you know, olive branches or as wavering from a firm position? Well, the way we are reading the strategy in Poland, Central and Eastern Europe is that there is no going back by Germany to business as usual. And that the, the interdependence that Germany thought it has with Russia turned out to be a full dependence. And this is not coming back. Uh, besides focusing on defense and deterrence, there is also a chapter on arms control. That's a little bit problematic, given that clearly this is not times for arms control given the aggression of Russia, it seems, but it's not where the emphasis of uh, the language on Russia is. Uh, that's why it didn't necessarily raise huge red flags. It seems more like a, an exercise in on one hand from the German side, but again, clarity that going back to the dependencies uh, that Germany had vis-a-vis -vis Russia are things of the past and are not coming back. 
as we've discussed, there has been some criticism about the strategy being rather vague or watered down. Rachel, if I may pose a question to you, since you're publishing a paper on this topic, will this strategy meet U.S. expectations? And if not, why not? Well, the perspective, as I see it from D.C., is rather similar to what Gazina and Michelle are pointing out. So, you know, in elementary school, one of the grades you get is meets expectations as opposed to exceeds expectations. So I would give this a meets expectations. There's nothing in here that will be really worrying in D.C. And, and there might have been some people who were up until the last minute on the China language. Right. It was really important that not only was China called a, you know, the a systemic rival language was in there and. They also said right after that, we must see that the rivalry and the competition aspects of the relationship have grown in the past years. So that was a signal toward D.C. and other allies that they're not blind when it comes to the challenges from China. On the other hand, it's embedded in some partner language, which is why I would say it doesn't exceed expectations. On the issue of spending and defense capabilities, that's a just barely meets expectations point. As Michal said, there would have been a lot of room for a firmer commitment of, you know, meet capabilities, even if that might mean exceeding 2% or something like this. One could have put language in there that would have been a bit um, stronger, which is obviously difficult for the SPD and the Greens, who are traditionally have problems already with the 2%. But um, that would have been a nice signal for Washington to see. And most importantly, you know, if Washington was hoping that this document would provide some kind of evidence that their strategy of hoping Germany will lead makes sense, uh, they will be disappointed. There's nothing in there about a clear vision and how Germany wants to make this vision happen toward a Europe that's more capable. It, it agrees to the goal of a Europe that's more capable, but it doesn't lay out any German vision for getting there. And I think uh, Washington should be rather disappointed in that and should, you know, think about the consequences of what that means in their Europe policy. Let me ask a quick question before we go to break here of each of you. Do you think that the German ministries who are often in what's been described as a unharmonious coalition government, uh, do you expect that they will follow through on the strategies or key points or more importantly, put money behind them when it comes to the NSS? And we'll start with Rachel. Go ahead. You can <laughs> pick it up and then we'll try Gazina and then Michal. I'm afraid not on the money question, to be honest. There was even some sort of mention right in the document that um, while maintaining our balanced budget or something. So they were pretty clear to um, point to the problems in the money aspect. And that's worrying. And I think there's no new structures to align foreign policy making. So I don't expect a big improvement. Zina, do you expect that they will put money behind it or follow through? I expect that they will put some money behind it, um, particularly with the special fund. But I also think for the moment, all we can do is wait and see, because the very interesting debates on that will take place in 2024, 2025. And then I expect the debates that Germany has often had um, before uh, the start of the war to come back. So um, to put it a bit simplistic or bluntly, do we buy tanks or do we build schools? And uh, these, particularly in an election year, are going to be tough debates. Michael, are you going to be glass half empty or glass half full? <laughs> what do you think? Will Germany follow through? On the coordination side, I'm glass half full. The fact that the national security strategy has been prepared 
they all had to get on a single page. They are on a single page that is in a way also an update to the coalition agreement. Um, and both the ministries, various ministries are on a single page and the three coalition partners are on a single page. I'm definitely glass barely having anything on the on the bottom when it comes to the funding, <laughs> because specifically it says that uh, this strategy has to be implemented within the existing budget, um, uh, or, or at least in, it's implied. But that's how it's being read in Berlin. So in this sense, you know, if strategy is uh, just a direction, fine. But if it's about matching goals and uh, means this document is not doing it. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned to hear more of our transatlantic takeaway on Germany's new security strategy. Hello, Common Ground Berlin listeners. My name is Kari. And my name is Manuel. And if you are learning German, you may have come across our Easy German videos on YouTube where we interview strangers in the streets of Berlin. But did you know that we also have a podcast to help you learn German? On the Easy German podcast, Kari and I chat about daily life in Germany. We break down German expressions and recommend resources to help you become fluent. And if you decide to become an Easy German member, you'll get some nice extras. To listen, just search for Easy German in your favorite podcast app, or head to easygerman.fm. I'm Rachel Tausendfreund, one of the hosts of the German Marshall Fund's podcast, Out of Order. Join our conversations with leaders and experts on what the dark side of tech does to democracy, how the pandemic shapes geopolitics, and other topics of global order and disorder. You can find our episodes and miniseries at gmfus.org or wherever you find your podcasts. We are the German Marshall Fund of the United States, strengthening transatlantic cooperation since 1972. Hi there, here's Diog Pirsch. I'm the host of Europe Talks Solidarity. Is Gen Z transforming the way solidarity is lived in Europe? How can cities be transformed into inclusive spaces? What can we learn from local initiatives about solidarity? How can international solidarity be done in a responsible and sustainable way? There are just a few questions we will be approaching on Season 2 of Europe Talk Solidarity soon. Join me for all of that and more. Produced by Salto European Solidarity Course Research Center. Till then. Welcome back to Transatlantic Takeaway, where we are talking about Germany's first national security strategy. I'm Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. And I'm Rachel Tausenfreund. We're joined via Zoom by my GMF colleagues, Gesine Weber in our Paris office and Michal Beranowski in our Warsaw office. Michal, we're talking about Germany's national security strategy. But what about Poland? How does the German strategic document or the thoughts in there about security differ from Poland's strategic documents? Well, to be entirely fair, uh, I wish Poland had gone through a process that Germany has gone through and produced security strategy that is both read internally and externally. We have a document that is called security strategy, but absolutely no one in the government is attaching any significance to it. And I could not even tell you when it was updated the last time. So um, 
that is uh, something that Poland can learn uh, and uh, from Germany, Britain, France, and the United States. And perhaps there will be space for that kind of exercise after the next election, regardless of who wins. So this is a longer way of saying, you know, it's hard to compare uh, to anything on the Polish side because it's not used in the same way and it's been not reviewed for a while. We could benefit uh, also from such exercise because Polish strategic thinking, especially with Russia's war in Ukraine, is so focused on the threat of Russia, uh, which is obviously existential and the most dominating one. But there are uh, other issues that Poland will have to deal with, um, namely the future of Europe, namely the relations with its closest allies within Europe, but also transatlantically. And China is something that impacts us uh, both strategically and in economic terms as well. And these are issues that are not really uh, discussed and fully integrated in our thinking. So there is a, on one hand, large level of consensus. On the other hand, the thinking is a bit too narrow and it isn't supported by documents that really play any real role in the Polish uh, government's work. Gesina, what about you? Uh, can we get you to be very controversial and say Paris has something to learn from Berlin uh, strategically? Difficult question. Um, I would say <laughs> it's a bit unfair to compare uh, France and Germany when it comes to strategies, um, not only because uh, France has much more experience with writing these strategies, but also because France is uh, a P5 member, so permanent member of the UN Security Council. Uh, it also uh, is a nuclear power. So um, the two are definitely on different level playing fields here. What I found very remarkable about the German strategy again here is the process. And I think um, it's particularly that process of communication with the citizens that worked well. Whereas in France, it's more like the Elysee will publish the strategy, of course, in coordination with the ministries. But there is much less communication about it, of course, also because there is in general a higher awareness of these challenges um, among the French than among the Germans, at least as far as I perceive that as a German living in France. Um, but I think that's an interesting or an important element. On the substance, I would say, on the way how the strategy is composed and um, the elements that it brings together, I would say that the two have some or have actually quite a lot of things in common and so far that both include an analysis of the international and strategic environment that both lay out a certain set of um, tools and um, yeah approaches and um, also that both elaborate on uh, how the country sees itself in the world but comparing the two strategies i would rather say that germany can still learn from the french one because it is much more forward-looking and formulates something like a vision so what do these differences say about the different foreign policy cultures and can these european actors find common ground when it comes to national security strategies uh, michael first and then uh, gazina can answer well germany is seen and i think the strategy shows that it's a culture that is still in the making. It's the first national security strategy. 
it comes uh, after number of years where Germany at all took on the thinking about their place in the world uh, more broadly under the sort of banner of with more power comes more responsibility and uh, initial Munich consensus where Germany and German policymakers, both uh, President Gauck and at the time Chancellor Merkel talked about Germany basically having to be a responsible power beyond Europe. So it's still new <laughs> in a way. It's a new kid on the strategic block, but a very much a heavy player at the same time. Uh, but it's new comparing to, like Jezine said, France, but also Poland that has a very deep uh, strategic thinking, though focused on one particular direction, East, uh, and in our case, uh, Russia and now Ukraine and Russia in particular. So I, I see Germany basically in a sort of growing uh, up period as a power, as a security and foreign policy power, because of course, uh, Germany has had a lot of thinking and strategic thinking on, a, on Germany's role in economic affairs. When it comes to our conversation among allies, we are actually even though both me and Jazine point out to some differences, we are roughly actually on, on an excellent plane when it comes to unity. And we can see this both by comparing documents, by looking at various debates, but also just recognizing that NATO has just published NATO strategic concept that showed the, the strategic understanding and the way forward for the alliance as a whole. So we have a consensus both within Europe, but also uh, transatlantically, and that EU publish its uh, strategic compass. So there is a lot of alignment, even though we can find um, differences uh, between our countries. I think the main story is of alignment, both in European, but also in a transatlantic space. Gazina, do you agree? And we're running short on time, so I need to ask both of you to keep your answers concise if possible. Thank you. I would like to jump on Michal's last point regarding unity, because I think um, where I see a significant difference, um, for example, with France, is uh, the question on all things uh, European security and defense. So while it is clear that Germany yeah, really commits to transatlantic security and defense and NATO um, as the cornerstone and the EU for other things. I have the impression, or in, like in the French strategy, the element of really creating a Europe de la Défense, so a European defense space, if you want to paraphrase it like that, is much stronger. So um, although there are like all these documents, I think on the long term, there are like these questions on integration. So what should be done within NATO? What should be done within the EU? And how constructing the European pillar of NATO will uh, translate into practice might still lead to uh, interesting debates. That's all the time we have today. Thanks again to GMF's Gesine Weber for joining us from Paris. And thanks to GMF's Michal Bernowski for joining us from Warsaw. I'm your host, Rachel Tausenfreund. And I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. Transatlantic Takeaway is a joint production by the German Marshall Fund in Common Ground Berlin. Our senior producer is Dina El-Sayed, our social media editor is Stefano Montali, and our intern is Cora Fassett. 
Common Ground Berlin is made possible through a grant administered by the German Ministry for Economic Affairs and Climate Action. In addition to Transatlantic Takeaway, all Common Ground Berlin and GMF's Out of Order episodes are available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to also check out our respective podcast websites, commongroundberlin.com and gmfus.org.